Our reading tonight comes from 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is the word of the Lord. Well, for starters, I've been hacked. Um, do not open an email from me that says Dropbox PDF. Uh, that happened Friday afternoon. I apologize if it happened to you. And then when I... Uh, God is speaking. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> well, it's God's word. That's not going to hurt anything. So, so when I tried to... Um, Send out an email saying, don't open my email. I shut my entire email down. So I I don't have email at the moment. Just don't open anything for me that says Dropbox. All right. There is a very awkward scene in a a movie that's out uh, about the poet Emily Dickinson. And uh, it illustrates uh, how a lot of Christians have thought about holiness over the years. And she lived in the 19th century. She was a part of a community, what you might call hyper-Calvinists, and they had a particular way of relating that the movie, at least, wants to make very clear, drove her far from God. And in one scene, uh, Emily and her sister Lavinia have asked the pastor and his wife over. Of course, they come over to this lovely home, and they're both dressed in black, and they have black hats on, and he has a black mustache and a black beard. And they don't smile, and they say, would you like some lemonade? And the wife says, we don't drink lemonade. And they say, would you like some coffee? And the wife says, we don't drink coffee. And then she says, would you like some what? And the lady says, hot water will do. (laughs) That, I think, is how many Christians interpret holiness. Um, It is being boring, denying pleasure, having no fun, and driving poets to their deaths. <laughs> now, for most of us, you know, it's not that extreme. But I, as I thought about these words this week, this idea of be holy, and I think of the books that I've read on this and the sermons that I've heard on it, I suspect that, that, that for a lot of us, we might have a little bit of ambivalence about this, that we don't see the invitation to holiness as life-giving, as joy-filled, as an exciting adventure, but maybe more like dying. It's not something we're real excited about. So what I'd like to do tonight is just think for a little bit with you about what is Peter really saying here? And, and, and perhaps we could reframe our understanding of holiness a little bit. At least that's what's happened to me as I've been thinking about it. Um, The word is hagios. In the Greek, we get our word for saint from it. It just means dedicated to God, set apart to God for his service, sharing in God's purity. 
And the New Testament word for holiness is built on the Old Testament word for holiness, kadash, that means to be separate or distinct or other. It's often associated with words about his power, his glory, his purity, his transcendence, his separateness, his majesty, his beauty, even as his dangerousness. Now, if you're familiar at all with the biblical story, what happens is this holy God creates people. They turn from him towards another way of life. He calls them back to them. He makes a covenant with them. This is in the book of Exodus. And then he says, I want you to be holy as I am holy. And that's really the mission statement of the people of God. I want you to reflect to the world my character, my beauty. And if you really wanted a short summary of what the Bible is all about, that would be what the Bible is all about. About God calling to himself a people and commanding and empowering them to reflect his beauty to the world, to advertise his character to the world, uh, to image his face to the world by the way that they live. Now, when God says, I want you to be holy because I am holy, when he says, I want you to look like me, I want you to live like me, I want you to reflect me to the world, that is a tall order. It's kind of intimidating. I don't normally feel very holy. Uh, One of the reasons I don't put Christian bumper stickers on my car is I do not think I'm going to witness to anyone of the glory of God by the way that I drive. It's just, wow, my goodness, the way he cut me off. I, hallelujah, Jesus. I don't, I, don't, uh, I don't see that. So what do we do? How do we approach this without succumbing to, to all sorts of legalism? Well, Peter begins by addressing his readers and us as obedient children And a more literal translation might be children of obedience. And again, this language is a little off-putting. If I got up here tonight and I said, you know, the shepherding team's been meeting. We decided we have now changed the name of our church to the children of obedience. (laughs) New series on Hulu right after The Handmaiden's Tale, right? It just sounds like, children of obedience. What, What is he really talking about? Well, in this case, the uh, actual literal translation is important because it's a way that the Hebrews uh, would describe someone who is like someone else. Someone else. So if you're a son of thunder, you're like thunder. If you're a child of God, you're like God. If you're a child of obedience, you have the, the parent's essence in you. So to be called a child of obedience means you've been born again by God and that his life now flows in and through you, and that's why you can be holy. And and this is so important to understand. It's so hard to understand because it's so counterintuitive. The Bible says that it is your fundamental essence and nature as a believer to be holy, that you are holy because of what he'd done for you in Christ, and that your core desires and longings and dreams are fundamentally holy, that that is who you are as a Christian. That's why Paul will start his letters with hagios, which means saints. Galatians 2.20, Paul
Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Romans 6, 6, our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. 2 Peter 1, 3, you are partakers of the divine nature. John 15, we abide in Christ. We remain in Christ. And holiness is the result. Now, let's say one more thing about this that Peter doesn't say in these three verses, but he he says it in the rest of the book. The way that we are born again, the reason why holiness is our nature and that we both have the desire and the power to live holy lives is because of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means, and he says in verse 3, that we've been born again to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is being born again by the Holy Spirit. So the reason why you and I can be holy and why it is our nature to be holy is because the Holy Spirit lives within us and is working out that holiness. Now, a few years ago, we had a retreat with a wonderful pastor named Kent Denliger, and he taught something in that retreat that, that uh, I've never forgotten. I think it's very important. And he, t- he contrasts two models for spiritual growth, and they apply to holiness. He contrasts a release model with an impose model. And he, and he pointed out that many times as Christians, we think of holiness or spiritual growth as imposing certain standards on a person, imposing a certain way of life on a person and saying, that's what it looks like, go after it. Work harder, be that. And I, and I might suggest that, that that may have been true in the Old Covenant but it's to a degree, but it's not true in the New Covenant. A release model says, God's very life dwells in you. The holy presence of the living God is alive in you and wanting to come out. So focus on releasing the holy presence of Christ in you. And as you do, you'll be holy. See how, to, how different that is? An imposed model versus a released model. It's very, very different. Now, he quotes from the book of Leviticus chapter 19 when, when he says, I'm holy, you be holy as I am holy. Chapter 19 of the book of Leviticus is one of the most important chapters in the whole Old Testament. Jesus often refers to it. The Psalms, the Proverbs, and the Prophets refer to it. It's kind of the heart of the book of Leviticus, and it is a summary of what it looks like to be holy. And we won't go through all of it tonight, but I wanted to just review it with you because you remember, you cannot understand the New Testament without understanding the Old Testament. You cannot pluck verses out of the Old Testament, have no idea what they mean, and then apply them to today. The New Testament is built on the Old Testament. So Peter's readers would have understood the context of Leviticus 19. And it's a teaching that begins with teaching on the family. Everybody should revere his mother and father. Then it moves to teaching them on keeping the Sabbath. Then it talks about worship. Then the longest section talks about caring for the poor, believe it or not. 
begins with this teaching about gleaning. When you reap the harvest of your land, you won't reap the field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor. And then it says, you shall oppress your neighbor. You shall not be partial to the poor. Love your neighbor as yourself. One third of chapter 19 deals with the poor. One third of the instruction of what holiness looks like deals with caring for the poor. Then the next section deals with worship again, followed by a section on sexual purity, followed by a section on being generous, then a section warning against the occult practices of the Canaanite religion, followed by a paragraph on respecting the elderly, elderly then turning back to the theme of caring poor again, focusing on caring for immigrants, and then it ends with practical instruction on how to live in the marketplace. So Leviticus 19, if we're wondering uh, what does holiness look like, Leviticus 19 gives us 10 ways that we reveal the character of our holy God to the world in the way that we live as families, in the way that we keep the Sabbath, in the way that we make worship a priority, in the way that we care for the poor, through our sexual purity, through our generosity, by refraining from occult rituals by respecting the elderly, by welcoming the immigrant, by living justly in the marketplace. So holiness is a very broad, very wide concept in the Bible. Now, I want to give you a moment to answer a question. Where is God calling you to be holy? Where is God inviting you to image himself in the world? Now, again, I want us to to approach this as a release model and not an imposed model. I don't want you to look at those 10 characteristics of holiness from Leviticus 19 and go, oh, I've got a C on that one, a D plus on that one, a B on that one, I'll work on the D plus. That's not what I'm saying. I want you to look in your heart and I want you to ask, where do I sense the Holy Spirit alive in me, moving me to image God? That's how you find out what it looks like to be holy. Now, it may be that the Spirit is moving in you to image God in a way that is pretty dramatically different than the way you're imaging him right now. And we call that repentance. But it may be that there's just something he's calling you into. Just a couple examples. Uh, Talked with a businessman this week. His company got bought out. He's been there for years. The CEO comes in, changes the whole value system, essentially tells him to put uh, an unethical approach in to achieve greater profits. And he says to the CEO, I can't do that. He's trying to stay there. He's trying to witness for Christ. But for him, imaging God in the marketplace means gently staying true to his value system. Another young friend says, uh, I've got these wonderful friends. I'm in this deep community. It's very rich. One of the big challenges, though, is that all their sexual practices are so different than mine. and, And sometimes I just have to explain, I just am not going to live that way. I think of a conversation I I had with Trevetta recently, where 
God had really put in her heart a vision for her neighborhood and for social justice in her church and calling people together around that vision. And it just had really been quickened. And I emailed her back and I said, well, what's going on? And he said, well, you laid hands on me on the pre-Pentecost prayer service and prayed that the Holy Spirit would have his way with me. And I cannot get out. I can't stop thinking about this. It's like it got ignited on fire. And by the way, that's one of the marks of being filled with the Holy Spirit is desiring holiness. That's one of the characteristics. Uh, When Suzanne Hassel uh, got into a place where a family needed some support around the clock, Paul sent out a little email. He said, you know, I know this is a big ask. Is there any way anybody could kind of move out of their house, move into her house, be there with her all night and kind of live their life out of her house for an indefinite season. And being the man of faith that I am, I see the email go out and I say, that's not going to happen. An hour later, Kelly Coleman, I will. That's holiness. Mine, I I was thinking about this today and And again, because I don't know about you, but I've got this privatistic, puritanical thinking that a sermon like this is all about not lusting or not eating so much or not watching Netflix. You know, it's it's kind of the hot water view of holiness. And there's a time, of course, when we don't want to lust and eat Netflix or whatever. Watch it. You, You get the idea. That's all important. But what I'm trying to say tonight is being holy is so much bigger than not watching Netflix and drinking hot water. It's this beautiful adventure in which the Holy Spirit emerges and begins to bring a new vision forth out of our lives, and we follow it, and sometimes following it is a great price. That's holiness. So I I was taking a walk this afternoon. I was thinking, well, what is it for you, uh, Doug, and... I had an idea, and I thought, that's not holiness. And I kept thinking of something more spiritual, you know, and I kept coming back to this. Here's what it is. You know, I teach the fellows every fall, of course, on the Old Testament. And this summer, I've been led to change the course. And the course is going to be called uh, Social Justice, Racism in the Hebrew Bible. And so we're looking at social justice in every aspect of the Old Testament. And uh, with a friend, I'm, I'm trying to identify 13 readings mostly by people of color, on racism. And then at the end of the class, we're going to take the principle from the scripture and the reading and talk about how the principle relates to the issue of of race. That right now, for me, is how I'm imaging God, simply by trying to create a classroom where we can look at some of these things. So I want you to just take a moment now, and I just want you to be quiet and ask, God, where are you calling me to reveal you to the world? 